Hey, I'm Abai Karana, CMO at Feather, and you're listening to the Association Marketing Show, the podcast where we go in-depth with association marketers to uncover the tactics, techniques, and tools they use to succeed. On this episode, we're joined by Cindy Simpson, Manager of Member Services, and Natalie Paskuski, Communications Specialist, both from the National Society for Histotechnology. We talk about maximizing effectiveness of digital marketing even with a small staff and budget, creating a successful association podcast, tactics for building awareness and acquiring new members, and a whole lot more. Could you both describe your kind of professional backgrounds, how you made it into the wonderful world of associations, as I like to call it? Sure. Um, so I've been with NSH for about four and a half years. Um, it's my first job out of college. I majored in advertising public relations. Um, so I was not intending to go into associations, but I found the the post uh, for a project coordinator at that time on uh, ASCE's website, and I applied, and they hired me. Um, and so about two years ago, they changed my title to a communication specialist, so I've taken on more of the communications aspect of the organization. And I've been with NSH for all of a year. In fact, my anniversary date's coming up in about a week. I uh, started uh, in association management uh, quite a while ago. I actually, my first job out of college was working in hotels, and then I switched over to associations, worked in a variety of trade associations and professional societies, mm. and uh, have had a, a circular route, uh, which ended up uh, allowing me to work here at NSH uh, with Natalie. And I'm in charge of man, uh, member services, so that means I'm in charge of all membership recruitment, retention, working mm. on uh, the strategy and implementation along with Natalie in terms of marketing and communications. Could you kind of briefly describe the overall focus uh, for NSH and what it does uh, and, and the kinds of services that it provides its members? So we represent the individuals that are in the field of histology. And what we like to say is they're saving lives one slide at a time. So when you have a biopsy done, uh, the individual that prepares the slide for the pathologist to read mm -hmm. is the person that's in histology. They work in a number of different fields uh, within uh, the uh, companies, pharmaceutical, uh, biomedical, government agencies, uh, veterinary services. They don't work just on people. They also mm. work on animals. Yeah, so we support them mainly by providing education. Um, they need to maintain a certification in most cases. Um, so we're a big provider of education to for them to earn that certification and to maintain that certification mm. um, and really a community within that professionally so that they can network mm. um, and meet others and share troubleshooting techniques and things like that when they're in the lab. We were formed in 1973. Actually, they met um, at an annual meeting and then decided to form the society afterwards mm. because they realized the importance of getting together and to uh, network amongst themselves. So we're coming up on our 50th anniversary here in a oh, few congrats. years. Thank you. I know that many of the people listening, association marketers, people in the association world, are from small staff organizations. That is a very, very common thing. And I know there's many unique challenges uh, that come along with that in terms of prioritization, in terms of areas of ownership, in terms of workload and all of that. And I'd love to get into some of that. But just to, as a, to set the stage for that, could you 
talk about the size of the team and, and how the, the roles are split up there? So we have a staff of five. Uh, we like to say we're small but mighty. Uh, we have our executive director, Sharon Kneebone, who is fabulous. She is a longtime executive uh, director here five, six years now, right, Natalie, uh, at NSH, has been very involved in association management and is phenomenal at what she does. She oversees our governance and advocacy efforts, works a lot with our board and our House of Delegates. And then we have Aubrey Warner and Connie Wildman, who actually oversee all of our education programs. They put together our lab webinars, all of the courses that we offer for certification mm -hmm. falls under their area of responsibility. This year, we just launched a new learning management system, and they were responsible for transferring all that content that we have into that system. That was quite a huge project. Mm -hmm. And then there's myself and Natalie, and uh, that's it. We all work very closely together, though, for the betterment of the organization. And uh, we meet uh, uh, weekly to talk about issues that come up, as well as um, opportunities to further the needs of the association. Marketing now happens in more places than it ever has before. You know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, before I was really in the industry as a marketer. Um, and, and then before that, really, there was a handful of channels you could be super specialized in those in those handful of channels and and that that was the mix right that was the marketing mix but today there's so much marketing technology there's so many digital marketing channels there's so many ways to use those channels um if you think about like email for an example you know email doesn't just mean email blasts anymore it it might mean automated emails and you know behavioral triggered emails and segmentation and personalization and split testing and so even within individual channels there's been so much complexity that's that's emerged so i'm wondering one how you have attempted to keep up with the changing landscape of of marketing and digital marketing and marketing tech how you've picked you know the right few things to focus on and really master that that make a difference for your organization and for your audience uh, and what that lineup looks like today of the key channels and, and key tools that you use to, to power your marketing programs. We mentioned a lot of things that we do do within our email. So we our email probably is still like our biggest channel that we're using, but we have really focused recently on making that more targeted. Um, so we recently changed our AMS so that we would be able to integrate our new learning management system with the AMS. So we could really pull in more of that behavioral data because we had a lot of data previously that was all living in different places and it was hard to really pull those targeted lists to make that kind of marketing push. Um, so we've just, just done that in the last year. Um, so we've really been focusing on those targeted lists and then within that as well, retargeting um, both on Feather, which I'll talk about in a minute, and then um, our email as well. Um, so we're using Real Magnet for our email marketing um, which we decided to do specifically because we wanted that automation capabilities. Yeah. Um, and so they have the function where you can set up a link label um, to like label all of the links within a campaign so that anyone who clicks on any of the links, you can put them into another retargeting campaign and then continue follow up with them. Um, so that's something that we found a lot of success with, with when we were marketing our annual convention that went virtual this year. Yeah. Um, we were able to offer specific first sales. We did a Labor Day sale to people who had engaged with us who hadn't completed the registration yet um, to really kind of re-engage those people that we already knew had engaged with us. Um, 
on that note as well, we are using Feather for our digital marketing. Um, and so that's relatively new for us. We had a consultant who was doing some Facebook ads for us, um, but we decided to bring all of our social media organic and paid in-house hmm. last year. Okay. Um, and that's when we decided that we kind of needed a tool that would simplify things a little bit for us because I'm not an expert in Facebook ads manager. I didn't have that experience. Um, so it made it a little more manageable to use a tool like Feather that kind of simplifies that campaign creation process. Um, so that's another thing that we've been doing retargeting with retargeting segments who have visited specific pages of our website. We'll target them with that education that they've been browsing yeah. um, to follow up with them. The Association Marketing Show is brought to you by Feather, the all-in-one digital marketing toolkit for associations. Today, more than 800 associations use Feather to power the digital marketing for all of their key programs, like virtual events, membership campaigns, continuing education, and more. To learn more about our technology and do-it-for-you implementation services, check us out at feather.co. That's F-E-A-T-H-R dot C-O. So you mentioned integrating your learning management system and your email marketing vendor. So is that so that you can see on your contact records in your email marketing uh, platform, which is Real Magnet, you can see which content they've consumed um, and use that to inform segmentation and then to do further email marketing based upon that behavior? Is, is that basically the idea? In a roundabout way. So it's integrated with the AMS. So the, gotcha. whatever they purchase through the LMS shows up on their AMS membership record. Gotcha. So that we can make a targeted list within our, like a query within our AMS that then we'll pull into Real Magnet. And do some promotions around. Right. Gotcha. How has that been going? I know it's early days, you know, a, kind of a year into that process, but have you noticed an, an improvement in email performance based upon that kind of targeting? Yeah. Um, so we talked about pivoting with COVID. Um, so we, right when COVID started, we made these um, packages, education packages, specifically to get to people who needed CEUs, who were laid off, who had a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. um, so we were promoting these packages and we based that on past purchases to what we were going to put in those packages and then who we were going to target them to. Um, and so we found those packages to be extremely successful because um, they were targeted. Um, and we'll do that with our lab webinars as well. Um, so there's a variety of different topics in that series. Um, but there's, say, one month is on IHC education, and we'll pull a list of people who have recently taken a webinar in IHC, and we'll send it specifically. For that month, we'll promote it to those people. Mm -hmm. um, so we have found that that does increase our um, attendance and open rates and overall sales. Retargeting 101 is, is just that. Retarget anybody who comes with ads forever, basically. But I'm curious, because you've mentioned some more kind of segmented, nuanced ways of using retargeting. Could you expand on that a little bit? in terms of the main types of retargeting campaigns that you've used and how you've targeted the segmenting on that and uh, yeah, what, what you've seen in terms of those campaigns performing. Sure, yeah. Um, so we do um, make it a little more specific than just our entire site. We have different pages within our website for all the different programs that we offer. Um, so we'll specifically use the, just that URL from that one web page if they're interested in HT certification. Mm -hmm. um, we'll just use that specific web page when we target someone for with our HD prep course. Um, so we've kind of narrowed it down in that way. So because we're, we're also running, sometimes we'll be running a campaign for education, a campaign for membership at the same time. 
So we don't want to bombard them with ads either. But we have also used just like the typical, what you would think of as a funnel approach to marketing. Um, when we were running our ads through Facebook Ads Manager, we would set up like a lookalike list to our Facebook audience that we were promoting um, just non-conversion content, just like things like our blog um, that they would engage with. And then mm -hmm. once they engage with that content, they would be put into the middle tier funnel of we'll promote this $10 webinar. Um, and then so retargeting based on that educate or what they've already done within other campaigns as yeah. well. Right. And then once somebody comes in for a webinar, maybe they're a good candidate for getting a special offer for right. membership or for an event of some kind. I'm so glad to hear you bring up the idea of, of the marketing funnel and its application in digital advertising. That's something that we've done multiple webinars, webinars on and really encourage our customers to think about is, is having um, multiple campaigns running with different goals, right? That end, up in the same, that end up in the same place, which is some central goal, like getting a, an event registrant or getting a new member. Um, but the way to get new members from a marketing standpoint is not just to run campaigns promoting some kind of special on membership. It's to do the whole set. It's to drive net new awareness to people who are in market for you, but with lightweight content, things that are easy to engage with, things that are easy to say yes to, like you're saying, an, you know, like an ungated blog article or for something like that. And then once somebody does that, they one step deeper. Now a webinar, now a paid webinar, now, you know, a virtual event, then a live event, then the membership or something like that. You have your series of offers and as people are coming through, getting a little, little bit more familiar with you, then they move into the next kind of arena of promotion where, where they start seeing ads and maybe prom promotional emails for, you know, the next level of commitment from where they're at right now. We talked about the blog. That's one of our major ways that we get in new prospects. Um, like 40% of our subscribers we didn't have in our database before they subscribed. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not going to immediately hit them with, hey, join us. Um, we'll, we'll promote more content that is similar to the blog. Hey, mm -hmm. you might like this. Um, work them through that funnel via email as well. Mm. You had described one of the ways that you have evolved the membership model for, uh, for NSH. And so could you talk about that a little bit, maybe the thinking behind that, um, how you chose to develop that new tier of membership uh, for your organization, and then how it's gone since it's been rolled out? Sure. So a few years ago, we did a survey of our members. We hired an outside firm to uh, interview our members. They did focus groups. They interviewed members, uh, lapsed members, prospective members to find out what it is that they needed from us uh, and uh, in order to achieve their goals in histology. And our members are very um, cost conscious, as, as we all are nowadays, especially, and they repeatedly had told us that education was extremely important to them. And that's been borne out by the data and the analytics that uh, Natalie sees when she uh, focuses on the communications and marketing for education. We get phenomenal response rates. And so there was discussion about how we could capitalize on that. And we developed uh, in concert with the board, the board of directors approved this and uh, we launched uh, just uh, in October of this year a new model that combined membership with unlimited access to our library of histology focused on demand webinars mm. 
And we've been marketing that through various channels. Natalie's done a phenomenal job in pushing out that message. And I have to say that um, I was I was very cautious in my projections for the first year. And uh, we are very close for the first year. And I'm talking about to the end of 2021. Right now, we're very close to almost meeting those projections. And so we are going to be exceeding those projections. And we're just thrilled. There's definitely a need out there for our members in particular and those that are in the field of histology to um, be able to access education and the fact that it comes with a year's worth of membership mm -hmm. so they have all of the other benefits of membership combined mm -hmm. is really uh, proven to be a win-win for all of us and we're just beyond happy. Well, I mean, you already mentioned some of the channels we got. So we basically laid out when we're going to start the email campaigns. Um, so we started in October 1st um, since that's when we would usually start our renewals and recruitment. Um, so we decided that it was going to launch October 1st, um, and our conference was actually the middle of October. Um, so we kind of also targeted, tied it in a little bit with that mm -hmm. promotion as well, like where there would be overlap between those groups who wanted that education. Um, but so we, yeah, so we laid out the email campaigns for it, um, which were segmented by their likely interest in the you know, upgrade. Yeah. Um, so we basically said, these people, we know they're certified, so they're more likely to be interested. They've attended these things, so we know they're going to be interested. So we kind of laid out gotcha. five different groups within just our renewals that we wanted to target and did the same kind of thing for our lapsed and non-members and planned out those email campaigns for them throughout October. Um, and then we, like she said, we did a postcard mailing to them as well. And we have now just started phone calls. And in November, we've moved our email campaigns into a retargeting process of anyone who engaged in the first month of emails is put into a different mm -hmm. campaign than those who didn't engage with our October emails. Um, so that's kind of how we've laid out that flow for the past two months of our promotion of it. Um, but we are running digital ads as well. We've been doing posts organically on our social media as well. Um, so hitting all of those channels. Awesome, great. So uh, social has come up a couple of times. I'm curious which social platforms are the most effective for you and which ones you're kind of really dedicated to, yeah. Yeah, um, so we brought all of our social media in-house. We had a consultant who was doing it and we decided that we wanted uh, to bring it out just to have a little more control over the content and make sure it was really resonating with our members since we know what histology is. It's a little easier for us to create those posts. Um, than yeah. it would be for a consultant who's necessarily not dealing with it day in and day out. Yeah. Um, so we decided that we were going to go with Agora Pulse as our like social scheduling tool. And we, though we are on all of the channels, we really focus focus primarily on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Okay. We found that's more where our audience is. Um, our membership does tend a little bit older, and they are on Facebook, but we do have a growing population of students and younger new professionals who are on Instagram as well. Yeah. Um, so that's what kind of where we lend our focus. Um, in histology, it's kind of weird to think about that your tissue would actually be pretty, but they stain it with ink and it's a very visual mm. um, science. So mm. it lends itself pretty well to those visual platforms, mm. um, more so than Twitter or LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, that, so that, that photo content um, and yeah. video content really works really well for us with that visual art form. So yeah. Um, Maybe better than other uh, healthcare professions, huh? Right, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
like uh, knee repair. It's like, uh, okay, maybe not the yeah, best. Yeah, not visual. as pretty, but uh, no, we actually run an art of a stain contest where people ah. will submit their stains, and some of them are absolutely gorgeous, uh, which is weird to think, yeah, it's someone's liver, but super cool. That's yeah. super cool. Obviously, we believe in podcasting. That's why we're doing this podcast here today. But I was, I was super interested when you described how long you've been doing it um, and that you've really made it kind of a key investment in one of your content pillars for, for NSH. So I'm just kind of curious around the background for it, why you decided to do it. Sure, yeah. Um, so we started it in 2016. It was actually Connie's idea, our other education coworker. Um, and we started it originally to do interviews with our poster presenters at our convention um, because they had this great scientific content that could easily be condensed down into a 15 minute talk and we needed somewhere to kind of put that content. And so that's how we kind of decided to get into podcasting. And one of the benefits of being a small staff association, we didn't have to go through 10 layers of approval. We kind yeah. of said, well, we're here, let's get it done. And yeah. so we did. And um, we're using Podbean for it, but we don't we don't have any fancy equipment um, like you do, but it's, we really just, most of it is through Zoom. Um, mm -hmm. And so we've kind of expanded that over the years to take on these other kind of mini series within Histotalks is the broad aim for it. Yeah. Um, but we've also done series with our interview, win um, with our award winners, our scholarship winners. Um, so they'll sometimes use the funds for different projects abroad. So we've done interviews with them. We've done troubleshooting series where they share some tips and tricks and stuff like that. So there's mini series within our whole series. Um, mm -hmm. And so mainly it really is just a way for us to kind of break down our larger content into smaller digestible bits that we can feed out to non-members and without that wall of having to be a member to pay for the content. Mm -hmm. um, just like our blog, we'll use those kind of things in our lower level funnel. Yeah. That's how many episodes have you done? Um, so we have, I think, 106. I was looking at that before we got on. It's like 106 now. Okay. Um, and we have 16,800 downloads. Wow. I'm a huge fan of content repurposing. It takes so much work to make mm -hmm. a new piece of content that it's such a huge shame when it just gets like one or two email promotions and then gets archived somewhere on the website. Like, you know, that like kills whatever part of my soul is dedicated to marketing, it like kills that part of my soul. Um, and so you've talked about this idea of repurposing content onto the podcast, which is, which is a great idea. Um, but I'm curious, just in terms of the mix of the different types of content that you publish to the podcast and how you've, you've changed it up over time and had little, you know, little seasons or little series, just to give listeners examples of ways that they can populate a podcast stream because I think for a lot of people yes it sounds like a good idea but oh man that's a whole new channel that we now have to produce content for and that sounds like a big lift um, and it certainly is work but I would love for you to kind of contribute some ideas about how you've populated and built out those 106 episodes um, to give some encouragement to people listening and and some more specific ideas for them to act on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously you do need people willing to be interviewed. Um, but generally, we, we do a lot of webinars too. So we generally have people who are already going to be recording content for us. Mm -hmm. um, so even not necessarily with our podcast, but we'll do like little learn it in a minute where it's just a minute video from the webinar. 
Um, so it's just things like that where you have people who are already interested and they already have a topic. Um, just breaking that down even further into um, a little snippet from that topic. Yeah. And then, so like I mentioned, some of the series were with our award winners. These are already people who were very engaged um, and yeah. that were interested in doing it. Right. Um, but we've also done special like themed series. We did a women in histology series for women's um, month one year. Right. Um, and so that was based on our demographics of our association. We are 70% women, which is not as likely in the STEM field. Mm -hmm. um, so just thinking about things like that, that your association can specialize in. We also this year uh, have really been pushing uh, micro volunteering opportunities. And so we reached out to our members to ask if they'd be interested in being interviewed for a podcast because our members work, in, as I mentioned, in a variety of places. And, and so it's very interesting to hear their stories. And so we've had members that have taken us up on that and mm -hmm. have reached out uh, to Natalie to ask if uh, she'd be willing to interview them. So I, I do think that's another uh, important point is is to offer those opportunities to your members as a way to get involved and especially your newer members mm. because they may not know what uh, they want to do uh, in terms of engagement and so it's a, it's a great opportunity for them as well you know obviously even before the pandemic you know time online has been going up every year you know adult time online I think in 2019 the average adult in the US was spending seven hours a day online and so the prominence of digital marketing has, the prominence and importance of digital marketing has increased along with that. But the pandemic has, I think, further accelerated that shift, at least temporarily, where people are spending even more on time online, whether that's on computers for work and then, you know, for, for leisure afterwards. Um, and so I'm curious if that's led to any changes within, within kind of your marketing setup or your marketing budget distribution um, and just in general for the organization, you know, what, what kind of adjustments that's, that's created for you? Yeah, um, well, we already actually were working from home for the past few years. So organizationally, there was not a lot that we had to change. Um, but we did see a lot of our members being furloughed as elective surgeries were stopped in March. Um, and we did see initially a change in our open rates. So for our monthly newsletter, the newsletter that we sent out, um, in March, when because we sent it out at the beginning of the month, so okay. March, right before everything hit, yeah. um, our open rate was about 29%. The next month, it was around 36%. Yeah. And that stayed true for the next three or so months until people started to go back. Like July, it dropped back around to 29%. Yeah. Um, we're seeing some of that lift in open rates for emails and engagement with emails that other people were seeing as well. Um, but we did also, being a science field, we had people who were writing articles and there, we had some resources that we were producing about the coronavirus. Um, so we had set up a page on our website and we ended up doing a keyword campaign in Feather that was for histology, when, for people searching coronavirus and histology. Mm. Um, and we were running ads for that. And so it was directing them back to our site, which then we could retarget them with other things once they're in that uh, 
other sphere there. We started a new series called Slide into NSH, where starting in August, it was a, a monthly session where we did a very brief overview about NSH. And then we allowed the members that participated in that session to hear from each other and to share their uh, questions and uh, as a way to facilitate conversations and discussions. Mm. And that, uh, that's been going very well. We're actually now, because that's been going so well, we're thinking about transitioning to maybe some type of a virtual happy hour starting in January of next year, where we'll do, you know, some type of a theme, uh, and then we'll bring everybody together as another way to network um, in a virtual environment. We saw that um, that actually uh, was uh, very prominent in our convention, which just ended last month, mm. where we had different events in the evening, and our members and participants, they just couldn't get enough because they really clamored for that human interaction, uh, even if it's just face-to-face -face over a virtual uh, setting. You know, for, for many associations, that is one of the key challenges, if not the key challenge. It's, it's building awareness within their audience and within their market. Whether, you know, the goal eventually is to, you know, increase the, the number of members um, or to increase event registrations or increase participation in uh, paid educational programs, any variety of, of ending goals, you know, that all starts with building awareness with the audience that you care about. And so I'm curious how NSH and, and you two specifically uh, are tackling that problem, you know, whether that's from a, a marketing standpoint or a partnership standpoint. Um, I know it, it can be a multi-pronged approach in terms of getting the word out there and, and building awareness in your target audience. But uh, yeah, I'm curious, I'm curious how uh, the organization is kind of tackling that problem. Um, so I, we had touched on it a little bit briefly. We had some things like our blog that we were using to get in brand new people. Um, and we also um, have our CE tracker. So people can create an account with us just to track their continuing education. Um, so that's a big way that we get people into our database. And they're also logging information in there that we can use to find out what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. um, so we are a continuing education approver for other organizations like the state societies, even though they're not necessarily a part of us um, and other companies that provide education. Um, so then people can create an account with NSH, a free account, just to log that hours so mm -hmm. that they can report that back to the AICP. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a big way of how we build our database and how we find out what people are interested in. Gotcha. Just having them create accounts that way. Yeah. Um, and on the blog, is most how how are people finding the blog? Is it mostly through SEO? Do you have certain standout you know pieces of content on the blog or sections of the blog that that rank really well for certain you know industry related searches? Yeah, um, so we've actually found that um, how to get certified in histology is one of the biggest um, things that they're searching for. We did have done a lot of FAQs um, on topics like that for people who are just getting into the field. Um, and finding out the different routes to certification and how they can get involved with histology. Yeah. Um, so we have done topics like that as well. Um, and we do have a histology professionals Facebook page um, that the company sponsors, but it's not our company page. Um, so it's a group that anyone can join who's interested in histology. Mm. So people will post things in there as well. So we kind of take topic ideas out of there for yeah. us to write on our blog as well. Yeah. Find out, get a pulse on the market a little bit of what yeah. people are asking. Right, and that includes members, non-members. That's just like an industry page. 
Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Have you done any like formal SEO, like working with an agency or like doing some kind of in-depth optimization or just like the content is not, good, no. it's ranking yeah. on its own? Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. We use Wix for our blog. So, I mean, we, we fill in there like steps to SEO, but it, we haven't really like worked with a SEO professional or anything like that. Yeah. The nice thing about SEO is that Google is intentionally trying to make it less and less technical. Like right. it's, if the content is good, it should rank for the keywords and the questions that people are searching that it helps to answer. Right. And, and taking the burden off of the content professionals to like do some kind of second level of technical SEO right. to get their content to rank. It's like, no, this is just good content. Let that be enough. And Google is going in that direction and it's becoming less and less some kind of, you know, back end um, manipulation, I mean, optimization uh, <laughs> process for trying to get your content to rank. And so, and so that's nice. Um, and I imagine that your association's domain has been registered for more than a decade, maybe decades right. at this point, yeah. and has really good domain authority. could go back in time to meet yourself at the beginning of, of your career, uh, and especially within the association world, what advice would you give yourself if you were able to do that? So let's start with Cindy and then, and then go to Natalie. Let's see. I've had such a varied career. If I were going to go back in time, one of the things that I would tell myself is to uh, be confident. I think that for women especially, and I know there are men out there as well, but uh, to to be confident in your abilities, uh, know that uh, the mistakes that you will be making uh, are really lessons that you can learn along the way. And to realize that uh, no one is perfect. Perfection is actually um, something to, to not be desired. Uh, it's the killer of innovation. And so be willing to take those chances, be confident in your abilities and you will be successful um, no matter what you do. Love that, thank you. Well, you stole mine. That was gonna be mine as well. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, well, specifically, I've only been in the field four and a half years. Yeah. Um, so NSH was nice enough to take a chance to hire me when I just wanted anyone to hire me. Um, but coming into a very small staff and they were all a lot older than I was. And so just knowing that it was okay to speak up and talk about what I knew. Um, when I felt like I should defer to others because oh, they knew more than I did. They've been in the field a lot longer. Mm -hmm. um, but just being confident to talk about your ideas and contribute. If you had a magic wand and could solve any professional problem for yourself with a simple flick of the wrist, and that problem was not, so one exception, the problem is not budget. You can't, you can't just wish for unlimited budget. Uh, what I would really like to see, and I know it's being developed out there, is a database that is completely comprehensive. So you don't have to go out and use a third-party email system. You don't have to go out and use um, another event system that the database is comprehensive and can provide to you information about your members from the very beginning until the very end. So that when you're 
creating your personas and your journey mapping, which we will be doing next year. We've already done the personas. We're working on journey mapping next year. Mm -hmm. You have a really good understanding uh, and a complete picture of the, of the member. And so right now, all of that information resides in various locations yeah. with being some manual, you know, machinations, which is okay, but that would be my fervent wish. And I'm sure that, you know, maybe not in my lifetime, but at some point we're gonna see something like that happen. If I were somebody that had those skills, <laughs> trust me, I'd be working on that right now. Oh man, <laughs> that's such an exciting vision. I swear, me, I know like for some people they're like, ah, nerds, but like, <laughs> I'm a I'm a technologist uh, in some ways, and obviously mm -hmm. working for a technology company in Feather, and so hearing that makes me super excited. It's like, <laughs> yeah, if you could see somebody's like website behavior and like marketing activity behavior, as well as their membership-related uh, history in terms of you know membership length and when they've lapsed and when they've renewed as well as like educational participation from like an, an LMS uh, platform, as well as event participation from like an event event platform and see what all of those things. Oh, right, man. what communications are opening up, you know, what emails are resonating with them, you know, yeah. what do they like, what don't they like, you know, and having all that map, that would be phenomenal. So that would be my further yeah. wish if I had a magic wand. <laughs> I think mine would just be getting the data to reflect the success of the marketing as well as our um, sales do, because we know some of the stuff that we're doing is working, but it's hard to necessarily pinpoint sometimes why it's working or where where the people are coming from or um, counting the conversions correctly, just getting the, getting the real data sometimes that you have to present to people higher ups to get them to understand that things are working um, and make the budget decisions. Um, kind of hard to tell sometimes why things are working. Yeah. Um, so getting getting the magical data to line up with the results that we're getting. Cindy and Natalie, thank you both so much for the time today. Our first ever dual guest. I think it's been a smashing success. So thank you so much for the time. <laughs> thank you. Great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Association Marketing Show. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date on the latest in association marketing. And if you found the podcast helpful, Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell your association friends about us. It really helps us grow the show. The Association Marketing Show is a production of Feather. Learn more about how Feather has helped over 800 associations grow membership, event attendance, and level up their digital marketing at feather.co. That's F-E-A-T-H-R dot C-O. We'll be back soon with an all-new episode. Until next time, stay soaring.